English Audiobooks presents John Phaeton, Lawman, by A. Anderson, and read by George Liddington. Coventry, 1935. The city is dying. A body in the graveyard. It shouldn't be there. Stabbed in the brain with a brain spoon. The rain washes the blood and tears into the soil. The city is afraid of me, for I have smelt its true smell. The corrupt politicians and bicycle barons call for my help, and I say thanks, but no thanks. The Warwickshire and Swiss clock gangs fight for control of the Lower East Side, and there is murder. Murder everywhere. There's nothing anyone can do to stop it. The city is dying. Okay, and stop there. Just got to double check I've got all the effects on the right buttons. We've got a lot this week. That sounded all right to me. It was, but did you listen to last week's episode? Never listen to your own work. That's always been my policy. I never listen back. Beethoven didn't either, you know. Yeah. So just just give me a minute. You see the sport this week? Which sport? No, no. Okay. Okay, we're good to go here. I really should have done that earlier, but the last people were around, so I didn't have time. Ready? Yeah, shall I just uh, pick up where I left off, or do you want me to start again? We haven't got time, just go from the sting and I'll cut all this out. Okay, okay. <clears throat> I remember the day she slunk into my town centre office. She appeared all at once in the doorway, young and beautiful, smoking a cigarette. The smoke swelled into the shape of a lost thought, a sucker-punch dream, a booze-swizzled thesis on the road to an unbleached yesterday. Come on, George. Tell you, that's what it says. Do you even read these things? I skimmed it when it was printing. Christ. Okay. <clears throat> she stood there, staring at me and smoking, waiting for me to speak. What can I do for you, miss? I said, pushing my hat out of my eyes. It fell suddenly from my head and crashed to the ground. She sighed sadly. My husband, sir, he's been kidnapped by marauders. Now, if you could just attempt the voice. I haven't seen him in... Young woman, George. Young woman. I don't think my range... Fine, we'll just cut all these lines. He's already paid. It's not my performance. My husband, sir. Sylvester Winston. He's been kidnapped by marauders. I haven't seen him in fortnights. Marauders again. The Banbury Cross gang. Had to be. Riding their white horses up and down the streets. Fast living. Cheap dying. I nodded and took down her particulars. The nib of my pencil snapped. It sounded like a gunshot. Have you got a spare pen? I asked. She shook her tear-stained face. Don't you have a sharpener? She replied. No, I said darkly, putting my hat on and sweeping out of my office. As we parted company on the grimy street below, and I headed to the ganglands where the Banbury crosses ran wild, she had no idea her death warrant had already been signed. I crossed the war-torn wastes of central Canterbury in the interwar years. The distant sounds of gang violence rang through the air. Burgate, Canterbury Lane, Link Lane, Iron Bar Lane, Burgate again because I had made a wrong turn. Sun Street, Sun Yard, Guildhall Street, Orange Street, the High Street, 
boarded up clock shops everywhere, then St. Peter's Lane, St. Peter's Street, St. Peter's Place, St. Peter's Roundabout, the Underground Opera House. I was there. Ride a cock horse to Bermondy Cross to see a fine lady upon a white horse. We bring to I sat in the back of the opera house, eating sushi, tending a bonsai, and thinking back to my times in the army, police force, clergy, and at Oxford. Before too long, a rough-looking man in a tatty horse-riding uniform sidled up to me, sitting two seats down. My informant. Two-eyed, two-legged, thirty-two-teeth, two-eye-lidded, two-eye-browed, hundred-thousand-haired Jack. Mr. Winston, you hear anything? I said. Jack grunted. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. You're not having much luck with the voices today, are you? What do you mean? Well, I thought you'd have tried something a bit muckier. Muckier? Like this. Like, like, go on, again? Like, just sort of, all oh, down East London way. <clears throat> like, I'm a cockney, like this. Yeah, it's all like that. I'll give it a go. Yeah, like you stab someone for fun. All right, here we go. <clears throat> maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Depends on what you have for me, don't it? I hear you, I said. I knew Jack well. He was a man who dealt in information. To him, a juicy story or a dark secret was as good as a black coffee and a hard-boiled egg with soldiers. I paused and racked my brain. Surely I had something. It hit me. I smiled. I leant in closer to him and covered my mouth with my hand. Don't actually cover your mouth. Sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> you know Daddy Longlegs? Yeah he said. They only live for a day, right? I said. Yeah, he said. I know that. Get this. They are the most poisonous animals in the world, but their teeth are too small to bite you. Jack's eyes widened as I said this. No, he said. Yep, I confirmed. No, he returned again in disbelief and astonishment. Yep, I insisted by means of reassuring him of the validity of my information with a comforting nod of my head to encourage the general sense that I was trustworthy. That's nuts, he said. I smiled. He seemed pleased. Now I wanted my part of the bargain. You know, it's at times like these when I wish you'd get someone else in to help me. That dialogue always sounds stilted. The friendly budget audiobook service, right? <sighs> I mean, if you say so. So, I began. He sniffed. The old apartment blocks on Barker's Butt Slane. I hear things about them. Maybe you go down there and check them out, huh? I thanked him and packed away the oil painting I had been doing. Jack had always been useful. Within the hour, he'd be dead. <coughs> the apartments, a beehive, but the bees made a thick stench treacle like a black ooze. I headed to the most dilapidated parts. A dank room at the summit of a crumbling flight of stairs. I somehow knew what I was going to find. And I did know. And I found it. A body on the floor. I had to do this by the book. And that book was my first big book of police. Chief Constable Walkers? I said. Is that you, Seaton? Said the policeman. It is, I said. I told you not to call me! He bellowed. 
You're much too much of a wild card. You're a bloody wild card. A wild card. And I can't stand your wine tasting and stamp collecting and love of classic cars. This is important, I said. I got some of you to meet. He's about 5'11", dark hair, shaven, white male in his mid-forties, dressed in a smart suit, looks unhappy. Oh, and he's dead. The police arrived a few short minutes later. The chief constable and two detectives. I toured the scene with walkers. We needed clues. The man's identity was no mystery. I recognised him. Mr. Winston, the lost husband. But who had killed him? What did the gangs have to do with it? Why had my hairdresser revealed himself as a warlock to me? Who had dumped him here? And how could we answer these questions? The detectives came back with blank faces and empty hands. I snapped into action. It was easy for me. The fleck of plasticine under his tongue. The scratch on his left face. The soft mint behind his ear. It all made perfect sense. It all made perfect sense. It all made perfect sense. See this? This type of plasticine has a lot of gypsum and petroleum jelly in it. Number 544. Outrageous brown, if I'm not mistaken. Sold in two shops in Canterbury. That explains the facial scratch. Both are under Swiss watchmaker control. A violent bunch. I touched the tip of my tongue against the sweet. The soft mint comes from a stale packet of tree ball that had been left in a damp attic in a small Norfolk town near a leatherworking shop, the proprietor of which had a limp, a glass eye, and a penchant for Belgian holidays which were in fact a cover for his secret meetings with fascists who were plotting to crash the American stock market and precipitate a sudden and violent global war. They were obviously stunned at the brilliance of my deductions. As for poor Mr. Winston, well, he's quite clearly been stabbed in the neck with that massive sword over there. You're a wild card! A goddamn wild calf! You're a wild card, Seaton! The other chief constable as I left the room, they do the rest. That is, if they live long enough to do it. I headed to the custard cream, my usual haunt. Run since Victorian times by Mrs. Hm? Run by Vic Run since Victorian times by Mrs. Shoestrings. It was a confectionery shop without equal. A spoonful of sugar in an otherwise bitter world. I placed my order. A quarter of chewing nuts. A quarter of sherbet boils, a quarter of Cousin Jim's lonely lumps, and an old grey cone. Mrs. Shoestring set about preparing my order. I whacked, I racked my brains. What had I missed? Who had killed Mr. Winston? I didn't have a decent lead. Another man walked in. Mrs. Shoestring shoveled his order into a paper bag while my old grey cone sizzled on the grill. He left, and my heart froze. The man's order. Milky gums. UFOs. Rhubarb and crusties, dump sticks, edible eddies, round orbs, the first letter of each sweet, murder! Contrived. The man who had just ordered them was standing over the road, eating his sweets slowly and watching me. I grabbed my bag and put a ten shilling note on the counter. Keep the change, I said, dashing out of the shop after him. He turned and ran. A chase! I charged down the high street after him, jumping over market stalls, car bonnets, etc. I was gaining on him fast. This man had to be the killer. We turned a corner and he hailed a rickshaw and tumbled into the back seat. I knocked a short vicar off his bicycle and gave chase, shouting for the rickshaw. I knocked a short vicar off his bicycle and gave chase, shouting for the rickshaw driver to stop. We charged towards Lady Herbert's gardens, both stopping at the perimeter to clamber into elegant palanquins held aloft by children. And we were off again, darting across the neatly maintained lawns and scattering the peacocks. Thank God I brought my sack of scattering peacocks. At the other side of the garden, we abandoned the palanquins. I had him. There was no escape. I advanced on him. He had a large hat pulled low to hide his face. He laughed. And then he lunged at an innocent bystander, grabbing his legs and holding them aloft. He ran off, wheelbarrow race style. I cursed. 
Behind me, the vicar whose bike I borrowed had caught up with me. I took the only chance I had and grabbed his ankles. We wheelbarrowed down Cook Street. I realised where he was going. The Coventry Amateur Aeronautics Club. If I couldn't stop him, he'd take to the skies. I revved my vicar and we charged after the crook. We smashed through the glazery district, powering through dozens of glass plates, towers of cardboard boxes and gangs of waiters carrying cakes. The villain took a sudden left, ploughing into the nearby tenement buildings. I swerved and followed. It was pure chaos as we chased through the densely packed rooms, smashing through walls and doors. By the time I had made it to the back door, he was clambering into the only aeroplane on the club's landing strip. I was too late. With a cackle, Purple. he took to the skies, heading west, and the safety of the Americas. There was only one way I could catch him now. I rushed down to Cornwall. If Alfred Wegener's theories were right, in a hundred million years or so, this island would crash into the North American continent, and I could simply walk across. I advanced on his lair. I knew I had him. There was really nowhere for him to go. The dank dungeon stretched out in front of me. It was dark and sinister. S sorry have I missed the page? How did he catch him? I don't know, George. Maybe it's abstract. Breaking conventions. Really, really does it matter? Can you just not get it done? I hate to disappoint the listeners. If we charge just a little more, I could proof the stories beforehand. Budget, that's the whole idea. <sighs> uh, what's that paper over there? Where? Just under your desk. Nothing. Let's get on. I backed against the wall, pulling my revolver from my pocket and sneaking forward in the darkness. I could hear him muttering to himself. Muttering. My heart was pounding in my chest. I heard someone cock a gun. It was close. I turned. There was a flash in the darkness. Something whistled by my head. I pulled the trigger. Trigger. The police found his body outside their headquarters in the following morning. In his pocket, a note. A confession. I didn't know who he was, but he would do. The perfect cover. They would close the investigation into Mr. Winston's death, and the others, and I would go free. The city is afraid of me, for I have touched its true shape. The corrupt politicians and bicycle barons scream for a saviour. The Warwickshire and Swiss clock gangs fight to the death. And there is murder. Murder everywhere. There is nothing anyone can do to stop it. And so I, John Featon, help it along. There is a new law in town. The law of death. So the detective was doing the killing all along? Seems so. Awful. Just awful. It doesn't make the slightest bit of sense. There's breaking conventions and then there's that. Where do you find these people? Everyone loves a detective story. I think it'll do well. You check the social channels. I don't have a social media. You'll have to tell me what happens. Do anything this evening? No, just going home. Family okay? Mum's fine. You up to anything? No, nothing particular. Just thought I'd walk back through the park. Hmm. See you Tuesday then? Yeah, will do. Don't forget to edit it, Ian. That was John Faden, Lawman by A. Henderson, read by George Ledington. Ian Icarus was the producer for Icarus Audiobooks. Follow us on Twitter at Icarus Audiobook, where this week one lucky follower will discover the location of their long-lost brother. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes and try to get in this week's secret word, cloven. That's like coven, but with an L. Icarus Audiobooks. We fly close, but not too close to the fun. <laughs>